the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to my mommy and her friends on Trails and Testimonies. Come on, y'all. Let's go. Welcome to Trails and Testimonies. My name is Kim Fitz. You can follow me on Instagram or you can follow Trails and Testimonies on Facebook. We put a pause in the last episode, but we are back at White Oak in West Georgia with Jessica Evans. When we paused, Jessica was struggling with relapse and an accident from DUI. But, isn't that such a powerful word? But, her story is one of redemption, recovery, and restoration. So let's hop back on the trail to hear all about it. I I had lost my mind. I had lost my mind literally and I did not want to live anymore July 23rd I would make a phone call do not recall it but I was planning and organizing orchestrating the end of my life I gave her specific instructions regarding my children was very adamant of what I wanted them to know what I wanted her to do I was leaving her in charge that would turn it lead to an uber ride the Uber driver would take me to Wellstar Paulding, and I would be put into a, basically a medical coma for three days. And when I came out, I just remember being on the floor and partly nude, and the nurse started coming in. She thought it was my help. Like, I, she didn't know what was going on, and I literally was on the floor on my knees as loud as I could. I was begging God to save my life, and she just stood there and... She never came and touched me. She, I, I could see her feet. She never entered the room, and she never walked away. She just stood there. I want to think that she was standing above me praying at the same time, but I pleaded with God, and I just remember saying, God, I will go wherever you send me, no matter what it looks like, no matter where it is, no matter how I have to get there. I had nothing at that point. The car was the last little bit. The job was gone. Your kids were still the, the kids gone. were gone. I mean, I wasn't going to get to see them. I didn't know I, what I felt would be that the next time I went to, to court, it, she would take full custody. And my mother had, that time, they had already petitioned so that they could step into a, a more permanent role because I was not doing what I needed to do. And um, I said I would go anywhere do anything and and I did and I left um, once I got out of detox I would enter into a residential treatment that was approved by the court I had a few box groceries and my clothes and someone donated a hundred dollars for me to start my life off with and I would look for a job and I would ride Marta to an interview and I would borrow shoes that didn't even fit me I had no dress shoes and it's interesting because I wore someone else's sandals, and I ended up getting the job. But later, 
the man that hired me said the only thing that he didn't like about my interview was that I had on open-toed shoes. <laughs> but he had no idea. I mean, I worked this job for six to nine months without them ever knowing I was even in treatment. And like that they, goes the whole saying of yes. walk in my shoes. Yeah, walk in my shoes. <laughs> yes. And uh, when he finally said that, I said, well, what you don't know about those shoes were they were not mine. And it was all I had at that time. I learned so much in that chaos. I was around other addicts. There was just a lot of choices that I had to make that I see now was just preparing me for what, you know, I was at the in the right place at the right time. God used me. God used the other people. Part of your prayer. Where God, where do you want me to where go? Where do you want me to go? I'll go. I, I wouldn't. I would not have picked that place. It was not this luxury recovery place like you see on. It was not Hilton. Yes. I mean, it was <laughs> It was probably the roughest I had ever lived as far as my surroundings and not having anything. I had a few friends from AA that would come out and bring me groceries, but man. So it's wild how God stripped you of everything so that you would get closer to him. Yep. And, you know, that the car, I always prided myself on always having a vehicle. No matter what I was going through, I always had a vehicle. Well, it's a piece of independence. And, I I mean, I was very self-sufficient. I had nothing when I got to Mariposa. And I remember the owner, she fed me uh, Chinese food my first night there. And I still have the 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 fortune fortune cookie. What did it say? And it said... Everything good starts out hard. Stop. That was the night that I got there, and they fed me, and I I still have that. And there was a couple other things that would take place. Once I got sober and got clarity of the mind, it was just like right back. There's God. There's God speaking to me. There's God showing me. There's God empowering me. But then I would have days where my mental health would be off, where the shame would be too much, where I... I would get in the way of what was happening, but I started claiming victory and quit being the victim. I was claiming victory that God gave me those children, and if I obeyed what I said to him in that hospital room, that I would get my children back. There was no one in that courtroom that was going to deter what God had planned for us, period. And I had to start thinking in victory terms and not victim terms. And that's that's what turned it around for me. I would get on my knees in the bathroom before the court hearing, and I would say, God, I don't know who will be in that courtroom. I don't know who's listening. I don't know who's making the ruling. But you let them see the true intentions of my heart, no matter what my story looks like how it reads what they say what comes against me you reveal he was he was revealing it he put all the right players in the right place I had an amazing support system I had people rallying me on I had people sitting in the courtroom and eventually I had my own mother and stepfather saying we know you are a good mother we know these boys want to be with you do you know that? And they began empowering me, and we began reconciling and going to therapy. And, and, you know, I appreciate that the courts didn't just thrust us. The judge noticed something about me and my mother that we needed to work on. And she said, 
before I think about putting these boys back in whatever's happening here, you two are going to show me that y'all can get along. And I was like. She put on the t-shirt around both of you and said, Yeah, here's time out. Yeah. (laughs) That did happen. She forced my mom and I into therapy together. But she saw that it was hindering my recovery. I started seeing the children and I. I was a part of a church that supported me and nurtured me and loved me for me in my dark brokenness. I had nothing to bring to the table when I entered into that church. And they just loved on me. And the pastor would show up and sit behind me in court. And the judge knew him and it softened, I guess, the blow. And it was really my first adult experience of seeing Jesus's people love on me no no other intentions other than just doing what Jesus told them to do what they had been shown what what their Christian walk looks like and um, he would pair me with a couple and um, they would get approved to be our supervisor so that the children and I didn't have to meet at the little eating place where defects families meet we got to go to their home and do fun things and They were able to witness and vouch for me in court. Everything they supervised was in line with what the judge wanted to see. And so they were very special to me. They are very special. Um, You know, I know that God put them in my life. So when were you able to get your boys back? With consistent sobriety, over six months, you know, I was able to get a home and a job. It would be Mother's Day 2018. Um, At that time, I was in my new home, and I would wake up on Mother's Day 2018, and my boys would be in my bed. So that was the very, very first night that they had spent the night with me alone in what would be 13 months. What an incredible Mother's Day gift. Yep, and I have a picture of Levi. He's just asleep on my chest like a little baby, and such a good time, a glorious time. We were connecting, and and it wasn't easy. Leighton was old enough to know and recall and was hurt and confused. I had to go into parenting from a different perspective. I had to be completely selfless. I had to be willing to mother them to the best of my ability with with no expectations and shouldn't we all do that but we we're, st- we're still human and even as parents we have expectations but I couldn't depend on on my son to give me signs that it was okay because he wasn't okay I had a sponsor who had already been through it I had someone that was pouring into me who at that point worked for the juvenile court system but she had lost her own children and and she would remind me he doesn't hate you he just doesn't like what you've done. Mm. Isn't that incredible yes. how God teamed you up with teamed her? Teamed me up. And I told her today, I was sharing with her, I said, man, I almost missed that blessing because it's her being my sponsor has just been a domino effect blessing. And um, there was a point I, I judged her because of her job with the court, and I didn't want anything to do with her. I thought she was like undercover, or, mm. and she would end up being like, who I needed in so many moments. Mm -hmm. And now her mother ended up becoming, you know, she's a great mentor. And how often do we miss what God's brought into our lives because of our own judgments or our own protection? We want to protect ourselves. Because of ISM. ISM. Because of I, self, me. We we try to protect ourselves. We go, well, maybe that's not what he has in mind. When that's part of his plan Mm -hmm. and part of your prayer of God, take me where you want me to go. I'm going to go to now you have a hashtag 
that is party of six. The party of six. So it really did <laughs> continue on of where God took you. Yeah. A man in AA once told my sponsor that if you stay sober, he said, I've never seen a mother get sober and not get her children back. Now, that was his experience. Not saying that, that that's applicable all the way across the board. Right. That was his experience. That was her experience. And that is now my experience. And that is the God experience. I mean, I made a declaration to God that I will go where you want me to go. I'll do, I'll serve, I'll seek. To me, I know that I'm one of the most self-evaluated people that I know of. Like, it's just, it comes more naturally to me than a lot of people. But self-reflection, self-admittance, self-awareness, it's the only way I can deal with myself. Well, it's the opposite of what you were going through. You were trying to escape and escape and escape and escape ism. So if you do the 180 of that and you go, well, I'm not going to escape. I'm going to dive into myself and say, okay, I'm going to study and find out why. And so I think that that's a really big 180. Yeah. And I mean, even as, like I said, as recent as being able to forgive the biological dad, I mean, that only, you know, what's been on my spirit is stop perceiving his protection as rejection. Now, that came from a sermon last week about divorce. And, man, I can get in the mode, and I know God's just given me all these spiritual gifts that's breaking these strongholds that still have me bound up. I mean, I'm going, God willing, July 24th will be three years sober. It's not the act of not picking up a drink. It's the act of of not wanting to run. I I don't have a life that I want to run from today. I want to share my life with people. I want to be in communion with other Christians. I want people around me to see the glory of God that's taken place, what he's done in my life, what he's done in my family's life. So now here we are, fast forward, we're in 2020. I am in a committed relationship with my now fiance, Andrew, who also has a, a huge God story, but we live in the home with my two boys and his two girls and so we are the party of six and our lives are reflective of God's restoration reconciliation like get out of the way and let God work I mean we still sometimes I'm like pinch me you know like is this really happening and so 2020 um, has just been a, a year of revelation to me what would take place for me personally the week of the pandemic starting in March and I would have a prophetic anointed encounter with my pastor and and being baptized in the Holy Spirit I would pursue a book and some more self-awareness of renewing the mind and what that means tackling anxiety and the book literally in the bookstore fell fell in your lap in my lap it wasn't I was in the Bibles and this Christian book was where it wasn't supposed to be and it, I had never heard of it. It's called Get Out of Your Head. And it is based on the concept of taking your thoughts captive. It's digging into what God's promises says that we can do. What does it mean to take on the mind of Christ? Which is what you were working on anyway. That's what so I was working on. And so for it to fall on. in your lap, yes, thank you, gravity. But that wasn't just gravity right. that made it fall in your lap no. at all. And uh, a few hours prior to that, I'd heard a sermon that, had me reflecting on roots what root what are your fruits producing Mm -hmm. and and what you could have 
all these nice fruits but just still have one rotten root and it you know tainted the whole apple tree i think of my garden at home and there is a certain bug that will get down into the roots of the squash Mm -hmm. and once it is in there and it's burrowing into the root and it's damaging all the squash you can't really eat the squash it has destroyed the whole plant and so you let this one bug in Mm -hmm. it's done and so that's been a huge revelation is the roots how did i get to the relapse what was i not dealing with what was i not letting god have what was i still holding on to Why was I sober, but I was still addicted to control? Why was I sober, but I still was trying to control the outcome of of my husband at the time in his life? You know, all these things that was me being actively not emotionally sober, basically. Um, And so... Oh, that's good. Emotionally emotionally sober. Not just physically, but mentally and emotionally sober. And that's a different... Yeah. And so that you remove the alcohol, you remove the drugs, but if you're still going to live in that chaos Mm -hmm. and the mindset, Mm -hmm. what is the use? What does it mean to truly take on the mind of Christ? And be completely cleansed. A renewed mindset. I mean, that's just been like, it's taken me to a place I never have been before. And it's just always there. It's the verses that have come up all through this year. So fast forward, I I get the book, I hear the sermon, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I go to the altar, I pick up a surrender chip for anxiety. Because for so long, I thought, anxiety is an emotion. We get this in our mind that it should be controllable. We can talk ourselves out. A chemical imbalance is a chemical imbalance. Now, these irrational anxieties that are attached to traumas, those can be dealt with through Christ and behavior modification, which is the renewal of our minds. Only way. And so I go, I'm at at my favorite recovery ministry on Friday night. We worship. They have a guest speaker that's not usually the pastor. And he's sharing about fears, irrational fears. How can we have the mind of Christ and be scared of the dark? which I am, by the way. <laughs> How can we have the mind of Christ and, and run in the, and jump in the bed because we think there's boogie, a boogeyman under there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, I hear you. So I, I picked up a surrender chip for my anxiety and took it to the altar, and that was March 13th. Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, and the schools closed down. That's when everything and really we, started shutting down. Yeah, we would go and get snow cones on Saturday morning. We went to church on Sunday, I believe, and then after that, we wouldn't leave the house for like six weeks. Right. For me, in the pandemic, I have to say that it's been one of the most blessed times of my life. Very early on during the pandemic, I mean, we would hear about corona here and there, but once it finally just exploded, what God kept putting in my spirit was, Mama, you prayed for this. You know, I mean, I love my work. I could, I'm, I'm not cut out to be a stay-at-home mom. I love my career. It's always been connected to probably an unhealthy level of pride. After about three weeks of not hearing from my boss and not really doing anything, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I haven't been patted on the back in a long time. So I really had to work about reevaluating where my own personal pride was coming from because if it comes out, of anything that's outside of God and it's self-righteous in any way, then 
I'm going to get in trouble. And so, you know, I was gifted with time with my kids. I was gifted with time for devotion and the word instead of the quick 10 minutes before I head out to offer nine hours to a paying job. Let me give Jesus nine minutes. Ten minutes, right. You know, come on. God revealed this creek and we cleared it out and everything was in bloom. And I mean, I would just go out there and sit and it was just so peaceful and the kids are splashing in the creek. So that time that you missed with your kids, you of course can't get that piece back. But this piece is so special because you get this time with them. You get to go down to the creek. You get to watch spring unfold and Mm -hmm. have so much more than just 10 minutes with God. And we were together all the time and a lot of doors opened for us. And we started this whole where I have been encouraging everyone to find the blessings in the COVID. I mean, it it will drown otherwise. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much negativity. And for us, there, there was blessing after, I mean, I literally continued to get paid, you know, to be clear about our family. Andrew has two daughters, Aubrey, and we celebrated three birthdays during the the shelter in place. So Ashton um, was scheduled to have to go back to school and finish up her senior year in December. And we knew she had worked hard to get to make up she had made some poor choices early on here's a huge god thing is that my children were removed from me my children needed to be protected from me i wasn't in a place where i I was living up to what god expected from me and i have forgiven myself for that and god has fully restored me to be able to mother my children to the best of my ability not getting it right most days but man i put forth a good effort and in that time frame he would give me a man for the first time in my entire life i feel like i am in god's will when i'm with him i was able to sit in church with him and feel a spiritual connection that i've never experienced with another man we were able to bond over so much hurt our stories are very similar And we both have emerged into these two people that I don't even think either of us knew existed. Like, who is he and who am I? But praise God that we are. And so his daughters, I would step into a mothering role for them. He would step into a a second dad role for my children. We've had a few hiccups, but for the most part, man, God is just in the midst. Like, we all just have this warm little family blanket on. And our love story is a family love story. It is our children learning to trust and seeing what what true love looks like and seeing what two parents that don't have to fight and argue and be violent that can sit and talk and, okay, you're having an issue today. We're going to confront it as a family. I encourage them, don't hide, do not go to bed mad. We do mad, sad, glad at the, the dinner table. What's something that made you mad? What's something that made you sad but then you finish it off with a glad and we you know that's how we connect and sometimes he's what made me mad sometimes (laughs) I made one of them sad and didn't know it and I've encouraged them to be honest and open and if I've hurt you I can't correct it unless you tell me and that helps them not to escape right like like what some of your title is yeah and so the biggest theme to my entire walk and journey to me is God's love goes back to that god-sized void in my entire life just always wanting to know what that love felt like 
and stepping into the flesh and knowing that I can honestly say I think I have sought that love in everything imaginable among men, among the world, in the world, of the world, and that never, ever, ever would fit. So one of the um, biggest blessings most recently for our family from COVID was Paulden County changed the summer school stipulations and Ashton had an opportunity to finish her three credits in a six-week online course with no IEP assistance. It was a long shot. My girl did it. She did it. She pushed through. We never let her give up, and she proved to herself more so than anyone that God was right there with her, and she graduated two Fridays ago. That is so huge. I mean, you know, she was already destined Man, just like my own conception, had already destined her for doom. And she is just, God has rocked her world. She stepped out of the way, and she's one of my best friends. And so, you know, not only am I mothering my boys, I am mothering his girls, my girls, our girls. And we were engaged in the middle of the pandemic. He, it was nothing sweet and romantic, just the kids surrounded around him, just laughing and giggling, and they knew, and I didn't. And it's funny because he was acting all weird and I went to take my nightly shower and I was in the shower crying and I was crying happy tears and just praising like Jesus was just wrecking me. And then I come out and he's literally like right outside the bathroom, you know, ready to propose. And I'm like, what are y'all doing? It was so cheesy and awesome and great. So, But it goes back to 1980. You have a purpose. And I'm so grateful that you're living out that purpose now and you're getting to have that hashtag party Party of six. six. And we do give glory to to God. And, you know, we are going on um, a year next week that we will be a part of our church family. And that's huge and significant because there were a lot of strongholds that was holding me back for a very long time. And they've just been broken. And we see not only with the first church, but, but this one now that um, there's such a significant role in being a part of a community with like-minded people and, and being myself. They know my testimony. And, and part of that is the church is off of Bill Carruth, which is where I got the DUI. And last year when we moved into the home and then I got my job, my route to and from work would put me on Bill Carruth driving past where I got the DUI every day. And there were some days that I could not do it. That area, that road, I just, if I was in a bad place, I wouldn't want to even drive down the road. And um, in September, I'm driving home and I stop on side of Bill Carruth where I had the wreck. God just reveals to me that I had crossed that white line. I mean, I literally crossed the white line that night and I almost took someone else's life and how often do we cross the white line that God has set for us Mm. whether it be the white line around our personal space or our homes or our family or our children the boundaries boundaries that are provided for us as protection within his promises and then we cross those lines and we cross those boundaries and we break our relationship with Christ and we get further away and we feel responsible and then we're overwhelmed and then the next thing you know we have distanced ourselves from God because we crossed that white line 
The line never changed. He never changes. And so I'm sitting there, and I just have a wreck me self-forgiveness moment. I would write and tell about my testimony, and I would share it with my pastor, not not anyone else really in, in the church. And then in January, we would have a groundbreaking for full turn for a new building that was planned and destined long before I stepped into full turn church. But we would show up for this groundbreaking, and it's just up above the hospital. And when we the same hospital that you that the same hospital prayed at, wow. that I prayed at. And so when we pulled up to full turn at Pinnacle Point to have the groundbreaking. It is literally steps from where I would get my DUI on June 16th, 2017. Wow. And the pastor would anoint the grounds with oil, and he would, he would prophesize restoration in the community and the families and generations that's going to be touched by this church. And I'm like, already happening, and there's not even, the ground's not even broken. And I'm there with the staff to take pictures and I'm just like I can't even focus on anything I'm just like he will do it and he is doing it and he hasn't stopped doing it yeah and so uh, the church would be a significant part of our shelter in place and you know learning what whether we don't have to be in a building that we are the church and stepping into a role a volunteer role with social media and and being connected to my women, you know, part of my ministry is my mama's living on a prayer Facebook group. Um, and those women are so dear to me. And, and what I envisioned with that group was a literal altar. I feel like that group is just an altar for us moms to go and lay whatever down. It doesn't have to be recovery-based. Uh, I mean, we talk about all kinds of stuff, but it's, it's just a safe place to go. Um, And so I love all those women and what's happening there. But God's at work, always, always at work when we decide to get out of the way and and let him work. And I'm glad that you did that. You you said, I will go wherever you want me to go. Let's start this restoration. And he did just that. He did just that. So I like to end the trails and testimonies off, not only on a good note, because that was an amazing note. Thank you, God, for that story. And for you being here. Yeah, thank you for For that taking a different turn in 1980. Mm -hmm. So we like to leave on a different quote. And because there is a pandemic, used to, I would say, hey, reach in my bag, pick out a quote. But we're going to stay germ-free. And you brought Mm -hmm. one of your favorite quotes. One of my favorite quotes is, God is everything or he is nothing. It comes from, originally from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 77. This can go to anybody. You don't have to be a member of AA to live by this, but it is the purpose of AA. And it says our real purpose is to be of maximum service to God and those around us. When I'm doing that, life goes well. When I step out of the way and and today, God, I want to serve you, whatever that looks like. Still send me where you want me to go. And he sent us to White Oak. Yes. And it was storm. (laughs) <laughs> through a storm. And then it's been so pleasant this afternoon. <laughs> Once the storm passed, it's been amazing. Yes, definitely. And so I'm so grateful for your service, for going where he called you to go, right here at this picnic table in front of the lake. Yes. Jessica, thank you, thank you so me. much. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you.
Remember to subscribe. Bye. I guess that's it, guys. Bye, then.